Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for your first round of golf of the year at the 32nd Annual 2023 Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show. Returning to the Minneapolis Convention Center Friday, February 24th through Sunday, February 26th. This year's show includes free lessons from the PGA professionals, thousands of name brand golf apparel items, discounted especially for the show, and your chance to sink a putt for $100,000. Plus so much more. Tickets and more information at minnesotagolfshow.com. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Chuck on Score North and scorenorth.com. Gentlemen, welcome to a Statements Monday here on Mackie and Judd. It's been a while since we've, the three of us anyways, talked Timberwolves. I feel like we've been so immersed in Vikingsville and the Twins have made some moves. And you guys got Judd's Hockey Show. So my Timberwolves outlet twice a week is Flagrant Howls with Kyle Tyge. And that's been great. So uh, if we could, I'd love to start you guys off with a Timberwolves-related statement here. Let's do it. Okay. All right. People wrote the Timberwolves off way too early. (laughs) And I definitely was sort of uh, on the ropes myself watching this thing play out. And they're they're not through the woods yet. And this whole Carl Anthony Towns situation has become a little bit of a mystery. He's no longer, like, watching games on the bench. But he did put out, he was watching the Eagles yesterday in a walking boot. So he does, he has made it known the last couple weeks. He wants people to know that, like, he definitely is still injured, showing a picture of the walking boot and whatnot. So that whole thing aside, as we sit here this morning on Monday, the Minnesota Timberwolves are the fifth seed in the Western Conference, a half game back of the Clippers for the four seed. Two games back of the Kings, who they play, is it tonight, yep. I believe? Yep, back-to-back. Back-to-back for the three-seed in the Western Conference. And the two teams above them, the Nuggets are the one-seed and the Grizzlies are the two-seed. Those are teams that the Wolves beat, not regularly, but like about half the time, it feels like. So not, so not only are people riding off the Wolves way too early, after kind of a weird start trying to figure out the Gobert situation, the Wolves can actually do some damage if they get in against any of these teams that they would face. There is no team that I would look at and say, oh, they're screwed if they have to match up with the Kings in the first round or the Grizzlies again, who they should have beat last year, if not for a couple clunkers and a 26-point blown lead. So yep. the bandwagon is still open if you gentlemen would like to would like to come on the bus here. So I, I went on uh, Friday against the Grizzlies again. 
too. And I will will say this. I've seen them play the Grizzlies twice here, and they beat them both times. They match up now so well against that, that team. And I know playoffs can be different for sure. But when you watch them, I mean, the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies struggle as much against the Wolves as the Wolves do against bad teams like the Rockets and Pistons. It's a very weird thing. But um, you know what's funny is the expectations were so high for this team that their that their start was seen as a disaster. And it didn't help, again, to reference the, the point that they lost to some really bad teams, which yeah. makes it, which makes it seem like two or three defeats in one night. But the Western Conference, in both the Wilds' case and the Wolves' case, are so tight, is so tight, and the playoff spots are so clumped together that, yeah, they're actually in good in good shape. Now, there's questions about when guys start to come back. You know, let's say Cat comes back. Not, oh, my God, he's back. That's going to suck. But how does it work? Like, it feels like, in watching them on Friday, it feels like they have finally started to figure out a chemistry, too. Um. Because this team was the one thing I'll give them last season is it for the most part always felt like that was a pretty tight team, right? Like yeah. Pat Bev was a galvanizing guy. He was like he was the heart and soul, and they definitely missed Pat Bev at the start of the season. But you know, Gobert. I think the expectation now, in retrospect, was okay. Gobert it cost a ton, and we gave up a ton for him, so he should come in and just be a star. Watching him play, he's really not that. Like he does a he does certain jobs well, but like just this notion of that he was going to pay that trade off immediately was probably flawed. And so watching them on Friday, it just feels like the pieces of the puzzle now are starting to fit. That's led by Ant, but there was a lot of things that I saw on Friday that were a marked difference as far as the mentality and probably the calmness if things did start to, to go bad, mm-hmm. that two months ago this club completely lacked, and now it's starting to stabilize, and you can sort of see it. Well, it, yeah, I think if and when, and I say if at this point, because, I mean, cat, there's no timetable for Cat's return. So I don't know if it's like a, a March thing. I would think that he's going to be back at least for like the last few weeks of the season. But what they have now with, with Kyle Anderson in the starting lineup, Kyle Anderson's just the ultimate Swiss Army Knife player. On any given night, he can run point guard for you. He can play the four. He can grab some rebounds. Um, he can knock down threes. He's a great passer. Like He's just this incredible glue player for the Wolves. And his chemistry with Gobert is off the charts right now. Yeah, it was great. So you've got to keep those guys paired up. Even if you move him out of the starting lineup when Cat comes back, I think you find a way to, like, Maybe you sit cat after the first six minutes, bring bring uh, Kyle Anderson in the game. So there's going to be some dynamics to figure out. But the way that things are going, they have one of the best records in the NBA in the year 2020. They're like 11-4 and four or something since the since the uh, the New Year's Eve players-only meeting, the come-to-Jesus meeting. They were 16-21 and 21 after losing that game to the Pistons on New Year's Eve. And they've been one of the best teams in the NBA since. Can you add in at some point the greatest shooting big man of all time who can also pass and rebound and do these things in a supplementary, complementary way instead of having him be the whole focal point again and having to shake everything up? That's the biggest question down the stretch here. But um, and by the way, and we'll get, I know you guys will probably bring up an ant statement here, but Anthony Edwards. Basically, since the all-star starter list came out, or when it became obvious that like, he wasn't going to be an all-star starter, he has clearly made a case to be 
among the reserves. He's averaging like 35 points over his last five or six games mm-hmm. and uh, and shooting like 60% from three or something over that stretch. So this truly has become Anthony Edwards' team, if you will. Even like hopping on the microphone, Gobert's doing the, the in-arena postgame, and he's not like a super high-energy guy, and he's kind of, you know, he's answering the questions and, Ant comes over and gets the crowd to chant, Rudy, Rudy. Like, his leadership instincts, too, are incredible. So, it's been fun. They definitely buzz-killed everyone at the beginning of the season. But there's two or three months left here in the regular season. They will get into the playoffs or the play-in. And uh, they can pretty much beat anyone in the Western Conference. So, we'll see. I think the, everything that you set out to accomplish is still in front of you. If your goal was... Go win a first-round playoff series. Like, that is still very much in front of you if you are the Timberwolves. My statement is this. Follow Ant's lead. And now I know that that's hard because he's a great player, and you're saying, how can he follow? Okay, there's one thing. There's there's a starting point that I want to talk about with this kid that I think is incredibly important. I got pushback on a tweet I put out Saturday, I think it was, about, and I pointed to the NBA and baseball. Load management. Got to give guys rest days, okay? Got to give guys rest days. Well, playing in games is not a talent thing. It's an availability, and it's being deemed to be durable enough. Ant has dealt with a bruised hip since early January, and he showed up on the injury report before the game on Saturday against the Kings that the Wolves won with a wrist problem. He has started every game this season. He has started every game this season. They gave him, I think, opportunities to not play. And you know what he said? My team needs me. You know what? He's right. Like, we have become so used to, well, of course this guy didn't play. It's load management. And in some cases, with a few very fragile humans, that's that's probably fine. But the majority of these guys travel, not commercially, but they travel first, first class because the plane is chartered. Uh, they have athletes have never been more taken care of. And Ant says, you know what? I am a star. And because I'm a star, I'm needed. And he is available for every game. He plays hurt. And more importantly, Phil just went through a litany of the fact that like in the last five games, 34.2 points per game, 54% from three point range. So you know, what's not hurting Ant? playing a lot. He's thriving. Everything this guy does to me on the floor. I know there have been some, or I, I know that there was an off-the-court issue in the offseason. Everything this guy does on the floor, though, to me, is what I would want from a teammate. It's the basically, especially in this era. And, you know, for all we debate about, okay, this might, is this Ant's team? What's Gobert's role? What's Ant's role? You know what the number one thing, in my opinion, that makes it your team when you're playing with your teammates, when you're making yourself available, yes. when you when you have a relationship where you can call your coach Finchie and basically say, he yells at me all the time. I love it. Finchie's yeah. my guy. Like, look at, look at the things that Anthony Edwards does for this team, not just from a scoring standpoint and not from just a playing standpoint, but look at what he brings. And that is the definition. You know what's not your team? When you whine at officials constantly, and Ant whines a little bit too much at times, but when you are just when your body language says "woe is me," then it's not your team. When it is your team, 
is when you make yourself available to play in a league where the majority of super, where a lot of majority might be too strong. A lot of superstars don't make themselves available because they are load management days. I just love that he's kind of he's figuring the whole thing out. He, you know, he could be accused maybe the first couple of years of being sort of a an aloof chucker on offense, where he just was just sort of taking shots when he wanted to, and everything seems like it's in a state of basketball flow now. And maybe maybe handling the ball more often has has helped him with this but even when he's playing off the ball it just seems like he's he's active he knows how to make plays when he's double or triple teamed as well now because now you're seeing like opposing defenses when he's hot will just trap him in the half court and it's up to him to figure out okay what's the next pass how do we open something up for somebody else so his playmaking ability is the thing that's really stood out to me over the past so another thing to look at too is since Carl Anthony Towns went down and it was, you know, you're looking around the room and it's like, all right, well, who's going to step up? This dude, this is a, a super high usage centerpiece of the team is gone now. And Anthony Edwards, since that period, his rebounding is up, his assists are up, his scoring is up. So it's been a 31-game sample in Cat's absence. And this is where Ant has really stepped up and has said, all right, I'll, I'll, I will fill whatever void is left here. And they went through a couple rough patches like the end of December where they lost a bunch of games. But overall, um, he's now averaging 26 points since that Washington game. Six rebounds, five assists, two steals, a block, 47% field goal percentage, 40% from three. It's just he's becoming this unstoppable force, this player that you all hoped he would be when he was drafted number one overall. It's a, it's a blast to watch. Declan. Uh, my next statement. They know how to win. So we just talked about how the Wolves are playing some of their best basketball since the New Year and the players-only meeting. And previously, the Wolves have always struggled with Carl Anthony Towns out of the lineup. So the previous three seasons combined, when Cat did not play, the Wolves went 15-44. and 44. Mm. Awful. Terrible. That is... That is some old uh, early to or mid 2000s, 2010, 2011, 12 Wolves basketball that looked pretty brutal, right? Uh, but without Cat, they weren't good. This year, they're 17 and 14. They have turned things around. They have figured out ways to win without the best big man, best uh, one of the best shooting big men in the NBA. And I'm curious of how he is going to fit in here. Yes, he's wildly talented and should be the best player on this team. But this team is starting to gel now and figuring out ways to win without him and how he slides in here and with the whole chemistry of the thing. I think when he comes back, the Wolves will still be in the similar spot they're in right now, which is fighting for one of these top six seeds. At the very worst, they're in the play-in again. But I'm very curious how this team wins with Cat when he returns because previously they couldn't, and now they're starting to do it a little bit. This is honestly the best possible thing that could have happened. This is kind of what when the injury happened... I don't think anyone was like happy that he got hurt, but I remember us having a conversation on this show that said, okay, this thing's been kind of a discombobulated mess so far. Anthony Edwards feels like he's just kind of standing off to the side for half the games. D'Lo doesn't really know how he fits. And I got a D'Lo statement for you guys in a second. And so it was almost like pulling Carl Anthony Towns out of the equation for a while, allowed other guys to figure out, how they fit with Rudy. Kyle Anderson figured out, oh, this is how I play with Rudy. You've seen D'Lo 
getting more lobs to Rudy now. It just it kind of it almost just like made other guys figure out relationships with each other. And it allowed Anthony Edwards, like we talked about, to really rise up and be the guy that this thing is centered around. Right. And this is a huge if, but if Cat can come in here, when 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 Kevin Love had to be traded, there was no way where you could just be like, all right, Kevin, I know you're frustrated. You're just not like the A guy on a winning team. You need to be like the B or the C guy. That's offensive to hear with your own organization, right? And they basically told him that by not giving him a five-year max contract. They gave it to Rubio instead. He wasn't an A guy either. But they told they, they offended Kevin Love by telling him, yeah, we're not going to give you the five-year max contract. Sorry, guy. You're not that guy. And they handled it poorly. But then he goes over to Cleveland, and he's the clear-cut third guy in the equation, and he's still doing Kevin Love things, and he's amazing, but he's an enhancement now of the best players. If Cat can be an enhancement of Anthony Edwards... This thing could skyrocket, but we'll have to see how and when that plays out later on this season. And I, I think the important thing to keep in mind too now, though, is this: Ant is your best player. So, like, this isn't just arbitrarily Ant's team because Ant's more fun. Ant is your best player. Carl has special skills, but when you can do, I, I think what takes Ant from a place of he's damn good, but Carl is still the best player to know Ant is is this, the emergence of point ant. So, like, when ant previously, you know, he didn't run the floor, but he does now a lot of times, and he's really damn good. Like, he he's effective. So I think when you have a guy that can do as much as ant does, and, like, now I love the fact he goes to the basket a ton now. Like, he cuts in there, and, you know, it felt, it felt like that was among the steps that, Wiggy never took was that, right? Like, in fact, his first year, he went to the basket, and then he stopped. Uh, so I think Ant does so many things so well now that when Carl does come back, it's very safe to, to say, hey, Carl, you're still great. You can contribute a lot, and we can be good. But our best player is Ant. Like, that's a, that's a fact I think everybody with this franchise now has to accept, and the franchise will be better if they do. Yeah. You might say Anthony Edwards has really – sharpened his skills over the past oh. 30 days or so, much like I and my wife, my wife, my wife, have sharpened our kitchen knives through our friends, an amazing new service called Vivrant, online knife sharpening service, a Minnesota-based company. They actually have a great store in YZ that I know Dex is going to stop yeah. out today. Uh, Joseph and his team are very knowledgeable, very passionate. It's not just about sharpening. They have Japanese knives you can check out, skills classes, as well, so my wife and I are making it a big goal to just be adults in 2023, which is uh, you know cooking our own meals, revolutionary, <laughs> trying new recipes, eating healthier, and for us, the freshly sharpened knives help us enjoy our time preparing food. If you've never had your knives sharpened, and obviously most of America has knives, but very few of you have ever actually thought about getting them sharpened. This is a super easy process. They mail you a kit. It's a very safe. Mailman-friendly kit. You put your knives in it. You send them back. They'll even send you replacement knives with the with the kit if you want to. And um, it's like a I don't know, like a four-day process or something. That's what it took for me. And uh, the knives came back amazing. Scorenorth.com keyword sharp or vivrant.com, v-i-v-r-o-n-t.com. First hundred score listeners to use the promo code score s k o r receive a free vegetable peeler 
with your order. And every order from Vivrant supports paying off school lunch account balances in our local Minnesota schools. So, for a great cause. Um, Maya Mackey is very excited outside the studio. She loves the wolves. Too. Everybody knows she loves the wolves. Oh, loves the wolves. She's howling over the wolves. All right, my next statement for you guys is D'Angelo Russell is playing the best basketball of his career. And the timing is interesting because he is a free agent after the year is over. The trade deadline is coming up in what, like nine days, February, whatever it is, less than two weeks. And they have to figure out, do you just ride this out with him because he's been one of your hottest, best players? She said do yes. You, yeah. Yes. I said yes, ride it out. Do you trade him and get some value in case he walks somewhere else? Because at this point, they've shown no indications of giving him a contract extension. However, the last 27 games, he's averaging 21 points, three rebounds, six assists, shooting 44% from three-point range, you guys. So this is a good problem to have. It either boosts his value for a trade or it's just helping you win a bunch of games that uh, maybe you wouldn't. So we're seeing the best basketball, I think, of D'Angelo Russell's career the last 30 games or so. Deadline is February 9th, so a um, a week from Thursday. So what do you do, Phil, to go back to, to you? Do you play it out? Do you shop him now, which they probably don't want to do because he's playing Boy. well? At, and, but I, but mm. but just to be clear, from my standpoint, I don't sign him to an extension because I don't trust him. Like I think well, that this is very much what guys like D'Lo have the ability to do when they are motivated by the potential for a contract. Yeah, I think it's tough because I don't necessarily think that he's going to take a discount. But you have you already have two guys that combined make like the next few years between Rudy and Cat like forty or fifty. Uh, well, they. They make like 85 or 90 million combined at some point in a couple of years from now. Anthony Edwards is going to be up for a contract extension. Jade McDaniels, like those are guys you're building around for the future. Right. You have, you have very little cap flexibility, but you do have a gap between like the salary cap and the luxury tax. You can re-sign your own guys and, and go over the cap. So they could re-sign D'Lo if they wanted to, but a re-sign D'Lo plus Gobert plus Cat plus Ant in a couple of years and Jaden. And all the other players you have to fill out on your roster, you're going to go well into the luxury tax. And I don't know what the appetite is of A-Rod and Mark Laurie to do that the next couple of years. Yep. Um, and Glenn Taylor, <clears throat> excuse me, in the next 12 months or so. So I guess what I would do is he's been such an integral part of winning games for you. He's doing this in part because it's a contract year, and he knows this is like the last big contract he's probably going to sign. Like, this is, this is the contract for him that gets him into his 30s and stuff. I would pro- if, if I didn't get a great offer, something of value that helped me continue forward, I would probably just ride him out and cross my fingers that you could pull a sign-and-trade deal with him. Because that's the other thing that could happen. The team yeah. that he chooses in free agency might have cap troubles, and then both him and that team would need the Wolves to facilitate a sign-and-trade. So it's a gamble. But I don't know what's out there. The only trade that we've seen is like a Kyle Lowry swap, but then you'd be taking another year of his crappy contract, and he's not very good. Right. So I don't know. If I knew what was out there, I'd be able to say like, oh, yeah, take that or don't. But at this point, he's been one of your best players for the last two months. It's tough. Well, and and Ant helps him a ton, I think, too, because one, he takes pressure off. Two, D'Lo's not really truly playing point guard. You know, you know, I mean, he, much, he much is, of the time, but much of the time he, he can be off the ball and shoot. 
which I think helps him a ton. I think when you give, I think the expectation that he and Gobert were going to work really well was probably a bit flawed. I think D'Lo needs to be able to play his own game. And I don't know if yeah. that, that, that did not fit in for quite some time as the Wolves tried to find themselves and get chemistry. But now I think with Ant playing so well, the weird thing about Ant that makes him to me so special is this. For as good as that dude is, he can be super unselfish. Like, he wants his teammates to mm-hmm. succeed. Well, the, the thing about D'Lo, too, like, this is going to get real X's and O's on you, and I'm not the foremost, like, X's and O's basketball guy, just an idiot with a microphone, but but on the pick and roll. So Rudy is a pick and roll lob guy, right? Or just, yeah. like, get near the basket. He's not going to pop. He's not. Like, Carl Anthony Towns is could could pick. He could roll on the pick and roll. He could pop, shoot a three. Gobert, it's like you need to get head of steam rolling downhill Get him a lob, get him a, a pass up high in traffic. Delo's style on the pick and roll is not to crash the hoop as much; it's to probe. So he'll go around a screen. He's not like a freight train going downhill like Anthony Edwards or somebody else, where you can suck defenders in and maybe throw a lob or a, a pass or whatever bounce pass. Right. So, so what you've seen sometimes with Delo is the hockey assist on these pick and rolls, where. He'll do his probing thing while Rudy rolls to the basket, and then he'll throw, like, a secondary pass to the baseline to Kyle Anderson or somebody, and then yeah. Anderson throws the lob or, or gets to Rudy under the hoop. Um, so, it's it's yeah, it's not the perfect, like, D'Lo crashing the hoop and getting a lob to, to Gobert, you know, Kobe and Shaq or, or Kobe and Gasol or LeBron James and whoever. So, it's, I don't know, but it's working – a lot better the last couple months than it did in uh, November and December, for sure. So. Okay. All right, any other wolf stuff from you guys? I got one more. Okay. It's it's prove-it time. So you right now are on a six-game homestand. You've won your first two. Uh, tonight you've got the second of consecutive home games against the Kings, Warriors on Wednesday, Magic on Friday, and then Denver early next week, Okay. This is going to sound really, really weird, but the game perhaps that I am the most curious about is the Magic game, and here's why. The Magic stink. They don't stink. And, and this team, well. That's not th- true. Well, they're they're not great. <laughs> they're not the, great. They're, fi- they're very feisty. They're, they're very okay. feisty. But the fact is. They're the not the Pistons. Sh- the Wolves should beat the Magic, and the Wolves have struggled so much with bad teams and, or sub 500 teams, if you would prefer to use that. And the Wolves' inconsistency has been the maddening thing. How many times have we thought, okay, they're on a bit of a hot streak now. Now it's going to click. Now it's going to gel. And they hit a bump, a speed bump, or a couple of them. So I think that this homestand and the conclusion, the last four games of it, give this team a real opportunity to snap out of that up and down sort of back and forth roller coaster ride and show us that they are now on the right track and can bring the game that they brought Friday against Memphis on a far more consistent fit basis. Cause that game was impressive. I don't think they trailed. They played really, really yeah. well. That was the type of game. That was a mature basketball game played by a team that knew exactly what it was doing. I just want to highlight the magic for a second. Cause I know it's, it's easy to just like, like none of us watch magic games, but, because uh, then they started five and twenty this season, 
but that is not in the same category as like the Rockets or the Pistons. The Magic are fourteen and eleven uh, after their five and twenty start, with three wins over the Celtics during that stretch. Mm. They beat the Pelicans, and uh, they they won a game in Portland like two weeks ago as well. So they've they've beat like to beat Boston three times over that stretch. They are a legitimate threat to be feisty. But you so. should beat them at home. I agree. I That's agree. the type of team that you should beat. Because I, I, I have no doubt that the, that the uh, Wolves are going to get up for the Kings. Golden State for sure, just because it's Golden State. Yep. And Denver, you should. So, like, the Magic is the type of Friday night home game that I want to see you win. Because those are, like, the Wolves are not supposed to be this, oh, they've lost again. And that's how it sort of felt. I want to see more consistency. I agree with that. Yep. Um, yeah, the Warriors seem to always just kind of like clown the Wolves too. You know, they just yes. not always, but when they when they're engaged, it seems like the Warriors are just kind of like, ah, oh, you guys are a bunch of young, immature idiots running around. So let, can you can you punch back at the Warriors too? Is that a home game against the Warriors? Yep. The Warriors have been atrocious on the road this year. Warriors, so you, are, yeah, it's kind of a weird deal. Oh, after like six or seven years of a dynasty. You're probably just kind of bored in December, January, and February. Just try and get your way to the playoffs any way you can. They're no longer interested in winning 65 games in the regular season and uh, you know playing everyone for 40 minutes. They don't, they don't need to do that anymore. Okay, uh, let's get to the football Vikings portion of the proceedings here. Statements. Uh, Judd, why don't you lead us off over to Declan, and then I'll go third here for uh, Vikings and football statements. All right, after watching the uh, the two conference championship games, which were polar opposites on Sunday, I'm going to give you a statement that comes back to thing a thing I saw that made me think of the Vikings, and it's this. My statement is you want to be on the receiving end. And what I mean by that is, did you guys see, just, a, just as one example, what T. Higgins meant to the Bengals' offense? Yeah. And the fact that opponents said, the Chiefs said, we're going to shut down Jamar Chase. And they didn't shut him down, but they definitely at times took him away. And Joe Burrow and the Bengals offensive coordinator said, okay, that's cool. T. Higgins is really good too. And I think Romo at one point talked about the fact that there was options to double them both. But you know what he never said? There was never an option to triple Jamar Chase because you wanted to double Higgins at times. The point is, this is the need for a, another receiver who is a very viable threat with Justin Jefferson. Doesn't need to be the same guy. Jefferson is all world. But the Vikings don't have this guy. The Vikings didn't have a guy where you said, okay, we've got Jefferson taken care of, but yeah. here's here's his Robin, and he's a damn problem too. Watching these teams roll out receivers that are Potential big-time threats to me was a reminder of why the Vikings need to replace Thielen with a guy who is considered to be, if not as scary as Jefferson, because that's a big ask, at least a scary proposition that if you're going to take away Jefferson, you're going to pay a price. Yeah. Oh, the Bengals, it, it makes it really hard. It definitely makes it really hard. And then the Niners in kind of a different way, too. I know they lost that game, and the Eagles have weapons everywhere, too, but so many of these teams, it's not just about you're like 20 years ago, your quarterback is going to create weapons. Now it's like you've got equally good or better quarterbacks in the league 
and they're putting these crazy weapons around them and schemes, and um, it just becomes really hard for defenses. So it should be a top priority, I agree, for the Vikings to find someone that can be dynamic that's 23 years old instead of 33 years old down the field. Will they do that in the first round? I don't, I don't know. Declan? My statement is, do not be afraid. So the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles, who kicked your butt in the NFC title game in Philly to go to the Super Bowl and then win the Super Bowl in your own barn uh, a few weeks later, they stripped down that entire team the last five years pretty much. Look up and down that team, it is completely different. That's a team that won a Super Bowl five years ago, and they have completely turned over that roster, and here they are knocking on the door of winning a second Super Bowl with a different coach, with a different quarterback, with different weapons. Hell, did you guys see how all the coin toss and the people, the team, the players that they brought back from that 2017 team as, you know, honorary captains? Those guys are not old guys by any means. They won a Super Bowl five years ago. Yeah. And they came back to obviously, you know, have the honorary captain stuff, but they stripped things down. Still remained competitive, too, by the way, right? They made the wild card weekend last year. I know they lost to Tampa Bay, but here they are. Back in the Super Bowl, not afraid to take some shots at quarterback, not afraid to move on from veteran players when they had to. I think there's a blueprint here. I think there's a blueprint here of looking at what the Philadelphia Eagles have just done in the last five years now on their second Super Bowl run here, and I think the Vikings can adopt some of these models as well. Yeah, the Eagles are so fascinating. They did have the 2020 sort of implosion year where they fired the coach, Carson Wentz was kind of a train wreck behind the scenes, and they didn't really know what direction they were going. So they went they went thirteen three Super Bowl, and the nine and seven nine and seven playoff losses with Wentz and Doug Peterson. So they were kind of hit. All right, they were hitting that glass ceiling. They already won the the championship, and then they had uh, the train wreck four eleven and one season. But then, all right, new offensive minded coach, new second round quarterback make a trade for A.J. Brown to yeah. to boost up your weapons, and boom, it's like if you – this is where there are some train wreck franchises that if you go into rebuild mode, you're probably screwed. Like the Houston Texans are poorly run. The Cleveland Browns for years had been poorly run. There's like the, the Cardinals, I don't know, man. They're going to go into a rebuild. I don't know if I trust it. They've got kind of a crazy front office situation. They recycle coaches, but – some of these more stable franchises, and the Vikings are a stable franchise. Eagles, Steelers, even like the Giants. Um, I don't think you have to worry as much about, oh, boy, if you take your foot off the accelerator and take a deep breath year, you better watch out what you wish for. You might turn into the Lions. Like, based on what precedent <laughs> would the Vikings turn into the Lions if they took a step back and said, okay, whew, what do we have here for 2024, you know? And the, I think the Eagles as a franchise, the confidence to move off of Peterson and Wentz in the same breath in 2020, move into Sirianni, Jalen Hurts, get some new weapons, um, and here they are. Kind of incredible. Dexel's right, too, though. I love the fact that that if you go, go back and look, I guarantee you the 2017 Vikings have more guys that are still on this team than – Philly does from their Super Bowl team. Wow. I guarantee it because, li- like, you think about it: Harrison Smith, Kendricks, oh yeah, Thielen. Like, there's a big <laughs> list of guys, and and you know what that that comes down to, partially at least, ownership allowing the GM to do their to do his job. 
yeah, saying, you know what? We'll bring we'll bring them back for the coin flip. We'll bring them <laughs> back to stick them in the ring of bleep and honor, right? Yeah. But what we're not going to do is we're not going to try to run things back continually because we feel a loyalty. So it's a great point. I love it. Well, that. An- another guy that they sort of did that to was Zach Ertz, right? Zach Ertz yeah. was 31 years old. They got some this- for him. Yeah, they traded him to the Cardinals, what, middle of last season or before last season? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what did they get for him? Let's see here. Oh, they got a- okay, so here it is. Here's my statement, okay? <laughs> wow, an audible statement. Yeah. If the Philadelphia Eagles can trade 31-year-old Zach Ertz for a fifth-round pick, think what the Vikings can get for Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, Harrison Smith. There's a lot of guys on this team that you could get something of value for. This goes against Judd's thought from last week. You're like, there's no way they're going to get value for any of these guys. Dude, the Eagles got a fifth-round pick for washed-up Zach Ertz. In season, I'm telling you, at the deadline next year. Now, I think Thielen's off the cliff. I think he gets you nothing. But that's what I'm saying is if you take Cook into next year, there there might be a desperate team. I don't think in March there's going – because teams are evaluating their salary cap big time. They're trying to put together their team for next season with, you know, high-profile players or draft picks. Yes, the Zach Ertz trade's brilliant in season but it's also having the cojones to pull the trigger i'm going to give you a, a prime example of a guy who should have been traded at the exact same type of time kyle rudolph he was clearly descending but he could have helped the team but no the vikings signed yeah. to an extension we got to be loyal to kyle no you don't but he's from you know but but he's made a home here he's great in the community i hear one more guy is great. you know what to quote royce what being great in the community is is winning games I don't those care. Guys, those guys what can else still be great in the well, community. Sure. It's like Chad Greenway is great in the community. Yes. Ben Lieber is great in the community, right? Like you don't have to play That's for nice. the Vikings to be great in the community. Well, yes. But I'm just, I'm so sick of, you know, we built a home here and now, no, you don't get to stay here in perpetuity and we're going to maximize your ass on a trade, on the trade market and trade you. So yes, the Zach Ertz though is a great, I believe in season type of trade because the Cardinals were desperate. Dude, he was, how about this? So Zach Ertz. Love that. Early in his career, he averaged eight yards per target. By the end, he was averaging with Philadelphia four and a half yards per target. And some of that was also like their quarterback situation in 2020 was tenuous. Jalen Hurts, I think, was new at the time. I don't remember. Um, but like, yeah, they they said, oh boy, this is, uh, he's on the wrong side of 30. And you might think, well, a fifth round pick, what are you really going to get? Well, the Vikings drafted Stefan Diggs in the fifth round. Oh, yeah. They drafted Daniel Hunter in, like, the third round. Kirk Cousins was a fourth-round pick. Cousins? Kirk Cousins? Saturday picks are very useful. Yeah, I mean, there's just starting players that that pop out of these picks. So what would you you rather do, continue to ride the same cavalry off the cliff or get a bundle of, like, third, fourth, fifth-round picks for some of these guys? It's just... All right, Judd. All right. Warning. This might be triggering, Vikings fans. Oh, no. Warning. This might be triggering. If you are triggered by past NFC Championship game failures, well, you're not going to like this one. Because my statement is this. Favre should have done the same. Oh, boy. Favre should have done the same. Oh, man. Okay. I take you back. January 2010. (sighs) 2009 NFC title game. Against the Saints at the Superdome. 
It's getting late. And the Vikings are facing a third and 15. They're on the Saints 38. Okay? Did you all see yesterday Pat Mahomes playing on a high ankle sprain? And as bad as Favre was banged up and his leg was a complete mess, a high ankle sprain is about the worst thing that you can try to play through, okay? So, like, Patrick Mahomes, if you saw him when play was stopped, was skipping around like a school kid because he couldn't really walk normally. But nonetheless, he elected to scramble for five yards on third and four from the Bengals' 47 with a high ankle sprain. And then he got hit out of bounds, and that set up what turned out to be pretty much a chip shot for Butker to win the game. But here's where the parallel taking that old here's where the parallel exists. Old so Brett Favre, you go back and watch that, and one thing there's two things: Barian's open, or there's room to just hobble forward, which is essentially what Mahomes tried to do. Okay, that then sets up a field goal attempt. So Favre would just to be clear, Favre would not have gotten the first down. I don't expect that. Okay, but he could have got enough yards to set up a realistic end-of-the-game field goal attempt for Longwell. It wasn't first down. It was field goal position. If he gets five yards, let's say he gets five yards, that's 50 yards, to which Longwell said, it's indoors. I could have easily made that. What might have been? Because we've always said, the one thing I've always heard is this. Well, Favre couldn't run. What was he supposed to do? How was he supposed to There's always a... You know, with it, with everyone in this town, there's always a, well, what's yeah, to do? Well, what's he supposed to do? He couldn't run. Patrick Mahomes with a high ankle sprain did what he had to do. The Vikings are in the Super Bowl. If Brett could have got five or six yards. It's very true for me right now. Brett. Screw Brett. Screwed Brett. Brett. <laughs> Brett. Screwed. Brett. Brett. Yeah, that's uh, a that lot a lot of parallels there. A lot of parallels. Super Bowl on the line, hobbled ankle, quarterback has options. One of them is to run. Uh, there were numerous holding penalties. Can I, I'm going to jump in line real quick here, Dex, because I just want to say, I know people are, oh, that poor guy, that Joseph Osai, and he was crying on the bench, and, oh, his teammates were consoling him, and then his teammate was being mean to him in the hallway. You know what? Here's my statement. I side with Joseph Asai's angry linebacker teammate. That was one of the dumbest, most boneheaded, you could see it from a million miles away penalties that you'll ever see in a conference championship game. What are you doing, guy? And, yeah, like, should he get hate mail and death threats? Like, no, I'm not wishing that upon him. But you should feel bad and cry for at least 15 or 20 minutes after costing your team likely a shot to keep that game going into a Super Bowl. Now, they would have kicked, they would have lined up probably for like a 55 yard field goal, is my guess, instead of a 40 yard field goal. And maybe yeah, they make it anyways. Yeah. Yep. Because, yeah, I think it would have been a 55 yard field goal. 59. But, uh, you know, here, here, we're so quick now to rush to like, oh, you know, he needs some support from his teammates and he needs to, you know what he needs? He needs to feel like garbage for 72 hours. And then maybe, okay, all right, are you. Do you understand what you just did? That you cost us all a chance at a Super Bowl. There, you might you might have taken a ring off Joey Burrow's finger by being an idiot and shoving Patrick Mahomes five yards out of bounds. Again, I don't want him to get death threats, but he should feel sounds bad like you're close for at least a couple though. days. It okay? sounds like you're close to a hater. Yeah, it, it would have been a fifty-nine yard field goal attempt by Butker. Fifty-nine. 59. Okay, 
In so Favre's ca- case, okay. it would have been about a 50 for Longwell. Yeah. So, yeah, Joseph Asai, hope you feel bad for a couple of days. And then I hope you bounce back and have a great rest of your career. Doesn't but I hope, sound like I, you want I him hope to. you feel yeah, bad for a couple like days. It sounds like you want him in the XFL. The XFL. Uh, all right, Declan's next statement is presented by our friends at Finch Home Solutions, helping bumbling guys like us around our home. That's exactly right, Phil. And get and guess what? Finch is coming to my house on uh, Wednesday because my friend Cody is going to take care of a bunch of problems. Uh, lights out downstairs, flickering. Didn't know know why. Guess what? That's a bad thing. Cody's going to fix that. They're going to install simply something as simple as three pronged outlets. Finch takes care of anything. And right now, they have same day and emergency services available to help you at any hour. Finch also offering a free home safety inspection to all of our listeners. So be sure to tell them that you heard about Finch on Score North because there are special deals for you. FinchHomeSolutions.com, or you can call them 612-357-2604, 612-357-2604, FinchHomeSolutions.com to take care of all those electrical problems that guys like us should go nowhere near. It's Cody's expertise. All right. All right, my next Ouch. statement. Also, this might be triggering. This might be triggering for some Vikings fans to hear. So oh, I will, no, uh, guys, I will call we go again. Sounder. Bear, Here we go. You guys, you guys. So I'm going to expand something from Purple Daily today. I would pick up the phone, call the 49ers, and say, let's do a little bit of a swap here. Kyle, you love Kirk Cousins? Okay, let's orchestrate some type of deal here. Now, you don't have a lot of draft high draft picks, so... Ah, this might get a little complicated. Maybe we have to settle on less uh, of what we want draft-wise. But I want a quarterback in return. And I have no interest in trading for Trey Lance. I want to know the availability of Brock Purdy. That's what I would do. I want to know the availability of a guy who was playing lights-out football and probably had the Niners potentially on the door of going to the Super Bowl. He does not get hurt. I am much more interested in a guy in Brock Purdy who was a four-year starter at a Big 12 school, played lights out for the San Francisco 49ers team. And I would be much more curious on a guy, too, who's making chump change since he was Mr. Irrelevant, instead of having to figure out a first-round pick project who has been injured, has barely played football games. If we are so intrigued by the high-end talent of Trey Lance because he was a second overall pick, I get that. Can I present to you numerous first-round draft quarterbacks that just absolutely stink? Okay, so like I know what I'm seeing in Brock Purdy. I am much more convinced that that stock has much more ceiling and much more sustainability, I should say, than Trey Lance. I'm much more interested in a Brock Purdy swap than a Trey Lance swap. Okay, but if you're right, then why would the 49ers ever trade Brock Purdy for Kirk Cousins then? Correct, but if we're if we're talking about them wanting to get Kirk Cousins, and if they indeed get Kirk Cousins, they have no use for Brock Purdy. I think part of the I think part of the appeal of Brock Purdy, if not the whole appeal, is that he makes no money and he's competent, right? If you think that he's something other than competent, which is sounds like you're saying you think he's like like has this massive ceiling, which maybe he does, then wouldn't the Niners like my premise for the trade is you guys kind of know what Brock Purdy is, right? He's a good guy. He stepped in there, he's a seventh round pick, and he did a good job in your system. But Kirk Cousins could do an even better job in your system. And, so, and not get hurt. 
Yeah, well, to this point, he hasn't got. I mean, when you're in your fourth quarterback, that's the. <laughs> well, what do you think, Brock Purdy? Like, do you think Brock Purdy is like the future solution for the Vikings? What do you like? What do you think he is? I think is a much bigger future solution than Trey Lance would be. Wow, I love these takes that are being slung. They are around. very, very this hot. Just, so, if but if that's the case, why why did San Francisco allow him to go to the last pick? Why wouldn't you have taken a fifth round? Flyer because the draft it, is random. Because the draft is random. People stink. Cool. You, you miss on picks. That's what's going to happen. You're going to find some great picks in the later rounds. You're going to miss on picks in the early rounds. It's random. It's the draft. I'm only willing to buy that to a certain point because I, he's a, he is a, if he is as good as you think, he would have been a much earlier Saturday pick. Like well, I don't Tony think Romo was undrafted. Tom Brady was random a six round pick. I mean, Kirk Cousins yeah, no, I mean, it happens, pick. but I, but I'm just saying, I think that if you're San Francisco, what you want then is, Kirk Cousins starting, Brock Purdy in the room, perhaps to be Kirk Kirk's successor because Kirk's it's, 35 and not Trey Lance. Here's the thing. Like, this is where I'm going to – I do side with Declan on, on the premise of this in that it serves to benefit both teams. If you're the Niners, you love what Purdy gave you, but your team is ready to win a Super Bowl. The only thing missing is just a guy that can pull the freaking trigger and make the right passes and not be hurt. Right. Right. Why? Yes. Like Jimmy Garoppolo hurt. Purdy now hurt. Their backup quarterback to Purdy hurt. Like yep. if you were if, if you could ask Kyle Shanahan today, what do you want? He he would he would pound the table and say, just give me a top twelve starting quarterback that can stay on the freaking football field one time, please, so we can win a championship. And so that that's what you would say to appeal to them, which is you guys you guys don't you like what Purdy gave you, but are you, how sure are you, gun to the head, your entire career on the line? Would you rather have Purdy or Cousins quarterbacking your team 49ers next year? Right. And I guarantee you Kyle Shanahan would say Kirk Cousins. Now the, and, and from the Vikings' perspective, they could get off Cousins' contract, get into a guy that might help you for a couple of years in Purdy, maybe you look for another quarterback, salary cap relief, et cetera, right? The potential problem with Kirk, though, is is the salary cap and the, the fact that, you know, you, you had a defense that was lights out because you, you had the ability to sign guys, too. So, like, that's the thing is the, the balancing act, assuming that Kirk would say, I still want, you know, a three-year guaranteed contract to accept this, the balancing act then of what takes place with the rest of your team. Because, I mean, you did have the ability to trade for McCaffrey, to pay Debo and and that so that's the other thing is the the financial tightrope that Kirk would make you walk and that's my thing with Kirk I fully believe he will make you walk it's more important to him to make you walk that tightrope than to sign like a five-year contract at which you can play around with the cap consistently to do with uh what the Chiefs do with Mahomes or what the Patriots used to do with Tom Brady well and by the way by the way by the way San Francisco according to over the cap has about 17 million dollars in cap space they would be on the hook for about $17 million right. of an, an unrestructured contract, which yeah. they would obviously like look to do anyway. So they can they could absorb it if they wanted to. Just saying. Just saying. You want uh, to take it so bad. Yes. It's, take that it makes sense for both teams. It mm-hmm. really does. I was very interested. It was a very good deep dive, too, on PD. Yeah. I've got one more for you. Okay. And that is this. My statement is this. I am sick of officiating, dominating conversation, Mm. especially in championship weekend, okay? Now, there were some very questionable calls on Sunday, uh, especially in the AFC game, and I've never thought that Ron Tolbert's particularly good. 
But I want to get to one in particular, all right? And this type, this is the type of thing that just do your damn job correctly. So we could we can certainly talk about all of the arbitrary calls and you know the PI where where Gene Steratore, who was a former official, and these guys defend each other to the death, said, "Yeah, that really wasn't." He spun him a little bit, but not much. But let's just talk about the third down play that the Bengals had, or I'm sorry, that the Chiefs had. I think it was third and nine, at which Torbert's crew got confused. They literally got confused yeah. and killed a play at the last second to give the Chiefs another opportunity. Now, I like both teams, so I didn't really have like a stake of, well, I the Bengals got screwed. I don't really care about that. But you could see them conversing before that, that play because the officials were confused. They put another second on the play clock. And then at the last second, right before uh, the Bengals got a legit stop, like Casey didn't stop the play. Torbert's running in, trying to stop the play. Wait, 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 we got to reset this. And that. Yeah, you know, is. why is it, it seems every Monday after the conference championship game, something's happened. There's been a brutally yeah. missed P.I., there's been several calls that were just horse bleep. In this case, you killed the play. And I know it ultimately didn't like impact things, but it certainly could have. And how can you not just do your job? Get this correct. It's the NFC cha- or the AFC championship game. Get the damn situation correct. Do your job. You know what? If this is the Lions and the Jaguars in September, okay, we won't talk about it. But this is your biggest stage with two, with, by the way, a marvelous football game. And two quarterbacks who deserve praise up and down. Two teams that are great. And this is what we got to put up with? Would you guys have called that 15-yard penalty on uh, the linebacker, Joseph Asai? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, But I wouldn't have called that the P.I. that Steratord question was a, you know, he barely yeah. he barely grabbed the guy. That happens every play. Yeah. I think I think because a lot of people were saying, like former players even were saying, tweeting during the game, you can't call that 15-yard penalty. Well, there was another one, too, earlier in the game where, like, was it the Bengals center or something? Was kind of jumping up and down, taunting Chiefs. someone else? The Chiefs, the Chiefs offensive center, lineman. Yeah. And he threw like, a flag you, on. Why are yeah. you calling that, for instance, in the, exactly. in the AFC championship game? Exactly. I think I think the the 15-yard late hit was so egregious. It was, like, clearly yeah. out of bounds. It wasn't bang-bang. He was running behind him. It was just, like. It's one thing if maybe they collide head on a couple yards out of bounds because like they couldn't get out of each other. He was trailing Mahomes and shoved him. But I did yeah. see some people saying bad situational officiating. There was a punt in the Eagles Niners game that clearly hit the the camera wire too. Wire, just like yeah. went sideways out of bounds. Yeah. And everyone on the sidelines and the fans are like, it hit the wire. And the referees talked about it for five minutes and they and he goes, he gets on the mic and he's like, We were unable to confirm that the ball hit the wire. We're not quite sure. Sorry for the delay. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, I apologize, but in Philly, they're like, "F you!" Like, dude, wait. There's how many officials are out there? Like nine or something. No one saw that ball hit the wire. There's not a replay somewhere that showed. How about the camera? Did, like, can we show a replay from the camera? Did the camera wobble? If the ball hit the wire, the camera probably wobbled, right? Of course, we can't figure that out. But that late yeah, it was game, kind of a clown show of officiating. That late game was such a marvelous. I mean, that was a great game and drama. And these and these guys yeah. are they continue to screw it up. I'm so tired of that. On a positive note, I will say, final statement for me: we get to watch Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow for like ten years. Oh my god! 
throw in a little Josh Allen, maybe throw in a little Justin Herbert at some point, but this is the Brady Peyton Manning of this generation. And they're both young. Yeah. They're both going to be doing this for like 10 plus more seasons. So it's and they're likable. They're both likable guys. Yeah. Yep. Earl was I mean, great just, at the podium. Dude, think about, and this is going to be triggering for some people. Okay. Again, third time was triggered. Dude, when you have a quarterback like that or a quarterback, and I think the Vikings have a long-term coach here. Quarterback is thirty, going to be 35 years old. But, like, when you have the head coach and the quarterback, the Zach Taylor and the Joe Burrow, Andy Reid's probably going to retire at some point. But, the like, the mastermind coach and the and the dude at quarterback, how that trickles into the rest of your team. It's no longer just about, like, but the defense, but this. It's like. When those two guys permeate that type of confidence and bravado on both of those AFC teams, yeah, the rest of the team just tends to like elevate at times. It's just your right guard just plays better because Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor are instilling confidence. And I know that people are going to laugh at that because, well, are you, oh, yeah, are no, you no, blaming no. Kirk yeah, for yeah. Ed Ingram? No, I'm yeah. not. I'm just saying when you have a dude like if you were to swap out Kirk for Joe Burrow, I think you'd be amazed at the things that would happen. Like Joe Burrow going over to his offensive line numerous times during a game and like pumping them up and doing his Joe Burrow thing. Like that stuff is infectious. Yeah. But now, you can now send your emails now you've to crossed Jay the line. Now you've crossed the line. You're yeah. a hater. Damn hater. <laughs> yeah, you find you guys, you clowns find a way to always make it about Kirk. It's always Kirk's fault. Well, I mean, it's not his fault, but he, uh, you know, he checked down on a play. Joe Burrow, by the way, threw a bleep it ball on fourth and six with the game on the line. Jamar Chase yeah. underthrew it strategically, by the way. He was double covered, not open at all whatsoever. Yeah. And uh Oh, I was they... told I tweeted that and I was immediately told, well, he had protection. He had time. I Kirk said he did didn't too. have Justin Jefferson was twenty five yards down the field. He when... delivered the yeah. but you gotta deliver the ball. You gotta deliver yeah, but dude. but then I got tweets about well. What happened when he was called when Burrow was called for intentional grounding? You would have yes, played so Kirk for that. Okay. I got Joe Burrow's Joe Burrow's playing in the AFC championship games every year. So those, guys, those two are incredible. Yep. Anyhow, all right, that's a wrap on uh, Mackie yeah. and Judd here. Purple Daily did a deep dive into it was like a fifty minute dive into should the Vikings call the 49ers and have a Kirk Cousins trade conversation. So again, if you're triggered by that, stay away. Uh, rejoin us for tomorrow's proceedings. I'm Purple Daily and Mackie and Judd. See ya.